This podcast interview really surprised me. I was expecting to meet someone defeated by the latest round of Google updates, making a lot less money without a plan on what to do next. After all, my guest today, Anne Moss, is the archetype of a niche site builder that Google has been going after with the HCU and the flurry of Google updates we've all just been through. She runs over 20 sites, does not believe in EEAT yet, and doesn't do any work for it on her sites. The authors have no photo, no bio, there's no team page, nothing about them on the about page. She uses AI content to help with content creation, and she doesn't do any link building, which means her sites are pretty low authority. Oh, and she makes most of her money from us, and we all know what happened to the RPMs at the beginning of the year. And while she lost quite a bit of traffic in the recent round of updates, she confessed to me that because of her use of AI and having only 8 writers instead of 50 before, her profits were actually the same now as they were before AI and the recent updates. Which got me really curious about her AI content creation process, and we talk a lot about that in the interview. But what's even better is she managed to replace a large chunk of her previous Google traffic with Facebook pages traffic. That's right, the Boomer social network is apparently a great source of traffic with an even higher RPM than Google traffic these days. So how did she do it? What's her exact method and how can you take this and apply this on your business? That's exactly what I wanted to figure out in this episode. But before we get started with the interview, I want to say thank you to our sponsor of today's episode, Search Intelligence. Search Intelligence provides genuine digital PR campaigns on your site that get you the highest quality links. We'll tell you more about them a little bit later in this episode. For now, let's get started with the interview. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Welcome to Anne Moss, who is joining us on the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Anne. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, doing well. I have to ask how you're doing because it's like I'm doing this to Mark every time as well. So it's like I decided I'm going to do this to the guests as well. So I was actually preparing this interview with you. You did an interview that was very popular on the Niche Pursuits podcast a year ago where we, you described a little bit where your business is at, which at the time was 25 websites, 50 people full time, 1,000 posts per month, 90 to 95% ad revenue and almost $200,000 revenue per month. Obviously, a lot has changed since you have recorded this podcast. Like AI came into play. Google decided to just mess around with the surfs. Like, uh, like, you know, it's been quite rare that there's been this much, many changes, especially in the second half of the year, et cetera. So I wanted to start the interview by saying, I mean, first of all, if you want to listen to Anne's interview one year ago, go check the Niche Pursuits podcast, but also kind of like catch up, like where you're at right now, what's happening, how you're doing. <laughs> so obviously a lot has changed, yeah. And we could tell at that point in time already, this was a very, was becoming a very risky business model. I blogged about it back then saying that I could see there was a huge problem coming up for the whole approach. Because basically what I was doing back then was long tail. Okay, I, I got like this, it's a specific approach in SEO, right? SEO is a lot more than just long tail content. But I went for a very specific approach, long tail content, no link building, it worked very well for us for two to three years. We sort of rode the wave and I optimized my entire operation around that. So mm -hmm. creating a thousand posts per month and having the whole structure, the whole organization was geared toward that. But it was risky. And I knew that because we were becoming like a one trick pony at that point. And I could easily tell that it won't last forever. That long tail has, it's got an expiry, you know, expiration date on it. Because I think 
Not so much, not AI necessarily. AI did not worry me back then. It was scary when ChatGPT was launched, right? But for reasons that I'm not even entirely sure of, people have not transitioned to using AI instead of search, instead of Google. Google mm-hmm. still That's gets true. I don't think traffic. much search traffic has disappeared, right? Yet, right. So me personally, I go to ChatGPT. I, I no longer okay. use Google. Like Interesting. 95% of the things that I want to search for online, I go to ChatGPT. And I use it in specific ways. Like I'm with ChatGPT all day long these days <laughs> for everything. But... I'm not, this isn't what most people are doing. Like 99% of the people around me, the general public, don't even use ChatGPT, don't use AI, don't use Bing. They still go to Google. So that's not the issue. The problem was that more and more people were getting into this game. And if three years ago, if I were to find, you know, a juicy long-term query, it was easy to find them with, with zero competition or maybe one or two pages competing over the same long-term query. But then more and more people began to generate pages and decent quality, decent quality. And by that, I mean, it satisfied user intent, okay, the search intent. And I think that's all that's needed with this type of information. Like, I don't think that you need for these kind of queries to go above and beyond, get experts, get quotes, all of that. You could, but I don't think it would satisfy the search intent. It won't be any better than not doing so. So anyway, competition was growing. And so what happens, I think, today, and the Google algorithm updates, it's just, it's like it's a reflection of that. It's 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 the way you're seeing this on the ground, but it's the same problem. Google today has a problem for every query. They have so many websites answering Mm -hmm. the exact same query in a way that's good enough for the user that it doesn't matter anymore. Like they have, you have 10 results on the main page, on the first page of the results, but they could reshuffle these results all day long and it would still be a good enough user experience for users. So we could see that coming back then. And that's when at the end of 2022, we sort of said, okay, we need to change this because we'll just run into a wall. And that was when we started changing things. And then when AI came into the game and we started working with AI and then GPT-4, and I was like, okay, at that month, actually when when Koala AI came out and I could see the, Mm. the quality that we were getting and said, you know, there's no point. February or something maybe, like just after GPT-4? I think it came around GPT-4. Like, I think when yeah. GPT-4 came out, they did yeah, the similar... Yeah. I think like, it was April, April 2023. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And, and I think GPT-4 was March. I could see two things happened that made me, like, absolutely switch over to AI. One was the fact that I thought the quality was good enough. And the second one was that we were beginning to catch writers using yeah. it. Yeah, and exactly. so I'm like, why would I pay you $40 for this article when I can get the same thing for a couple of dollars from Koala? And you you just went over there and just, or ChatGP, doesn't matter where, but you just generated an AI article anyway. Instead of, you know, trying to chase after these writers and like say, don't use it and I'll catch you or I won't catch you and try to f- figure out if they were using AI, we said, okay, we'll just embrace this and just get the AI content ourselves. And that's when we trained. When you work with AI, you just don't need as many writers. And so we cut down on the number of people. 
And we now have, I think, eight, we call them content specialists. So they're no okay. longer writers. Okay, I, I, I read AI Wranglers on your newsletter. Yeah, I think. yeah <laughs> AI Wranglers. I, I actually like, <laughs> I, I, today I like to call it AI Whispering and not Wranglers. Okay. Because I think I've learned that AI responds much better to, you know, if you're kind to it and nice to it. I see. Not. Plus, if it becomes AGI one day, it doesn't kill us if we be nice to it. So it's always good, <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, I'm already looking for ASI. AGI <laughs> is like... Anyway, so that's when we changed, we reduced the number of people. And we said, okay, we don't need 50 writers. We can have seven or eight content specialists who... We taught them how to work with AI because you have to know how to do this. You can't just go to ChatGPT and say, write me an article, grab that and put it online. Yeah, I don't think that's good content. I think that's lousy content in more ways than one. It's not just the style. The style is terrible, but also the content itself could be very problematic, like in terms of structure, also in terms of fact-checking. There is a lot going on. So uh, you ha I think you have to have a you know a human in the loop if you want to produce decent content with AI. So we still have people. But the numbers went down drastically. At the same time, transitioning from that kind of long tail Google traffic into other sources, it took time longer than I thought. Like, I will probably talk about Facebook traffic. Facebook traffic and Pinterest traffic today make a much larger chunk of our overall traffic. It's taking us time. Like, we had Pinterest before, but Facebook was new to us. Mm -hmm. And it took probably four to five months of immersion and of going to people who do well on Facebook and picking their brains and going on calls and saying, hey, help me out here because I, I just couldn't make it work at first. It was very frustrating. Mm -hmm. So we had this trajectory with our Google traffic going down with each update. It's not just the HCU. The HCU I was going to ask, yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. Our Google traffic is way down. Like there's okay. no question about it by, I would say, 60% or so. Okay, so it's a, it's a huge hit, but it's not huge, like obviated. But at the same time, and this is the interesting thing, we cut down on costs. Yeah, because you have eight people instead of 50. Yeah, because once we let the writer, we had a very organized structure to produce those 1,000 posts a month, including like not just the writers, but also people who managed the teams of writers. And we just didn't need all of those people now. So it was a funny thing with revenue going down but actually profit was not going down mm. it was actually it actually went up a little so it was very scary it still is scary this business is always scary scary time right now i will say yeah, yeah. yeah it's always scary like i've been doing this for 23 years and it's always scary i think business is always scary it's, it's always unpredictable but it was scary and yet the catastrophe that we you know i kept saying well you know maybe next month it's just going to be even worse but it wasn't getting worse in terms of the overall profitability so we stayed stable in that sense but things were constantly changing and they still are so now we know how to get we're still getting a lot of traffic from google and that was another thing that really bothered me is the inconsistency in terms of Google traffic, because like we were like this one trick pony. So we had a system, we had the same writers and same editors and same templates and same styles and same everything across 25 sites. And yet with every update, some sites would get hit and others would not. And why? Like I could not find any. I keep calling people have names for the Google updates, the HCU, the, the this and that. I call them the no rhyme, no reason updates. Every update, it's like this totally arbitrary reshuffle as far as I can tell. 
we have big sites, we have small sites, we have older sites, we have new sites. And I cannot point to a pattern and say this update only hit this kind of, of site and let's fix it. So we actually had sites that increased in traffic. Okay, we still do, even in, during the HCU, like some of our sites did well, some of our sites increased in traffic, but I cannot tell you why that was. Yeah, it's very difficult. Like every time I look at something and I come to some close to a conclusion, I find a counter example that just breaks all my ideas. And for example, I think, I don't remember exactly the site, but I'll probably put it in the show notes, but I was checking like sites that are built by similar publishers with the same code base, the same editorial teams, etc. Some are up, some are down. Right. And you're like, exactly. why? Yeah. Uh, so it's like, it's easy to point out one site and be like, oh, it's a shit site. That's why it went down. Mm-hmm. But when you pick very similar sites and they go in different trajectories, it's quite difficult sometimes to make sense out of it. So yeah, I know a lot of people tend to ask me, like, what do you think of these updates? What changed, etc.? And they're very disappointed when I tell you I have no idea, basically. That's why we changed to the direction where I think that today what you need to do with niche sites mm. and niche sites to me are like content websites. Okay. Not e-commerce and not necessarily affiliate sites, but sites like you, mo- are- you still do ads mostly, right? It's mostly. Ad revenue yeah. You're doing. yeah. We are looking into info products, but. Okay. I, I actually want to talk a little bit about that because I think that's uh we disagree a little bit on, on the approach here. It's going to be interesting, but we'll talk about this at the end, actually. Sure. Yeah. It's probably less of a disagreement that, that you, than you think. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's, that's the interesting part. I love disagreeing with people. It's like, that's how I progress, you know? You said you were producing 1000 posts per month now, like, so no, do you, now, have, now you, you have AI where you're at. No, no, we stopped. We transitioned from that approach. We were at 1,000 posts a month. Now I think we're doing maybe two to 300 a month. Okay. Because we're like moving out of the long tail game. I'm almost entirely at this point. I think. So how did you change the way you pick your content ideas? Like, I guess something has happened here in terms of like, what do I write about, you know? For sure. So we're focusing right now on three channels. One is Facebook, the other is Pinterest, and the third is our mailing lists. So we're collecting the idea that I have now for a solid, robust niche site is a site that does not rely on any single source of traffic. Okay. I don't regret doing what we did with the long tail content. It's like we rode a wave. There was a great wave in 2022. And we like surfed that wave. It was a lot of fun, (laughs) but then the wave ended. And now we need to look into something new. And the new, I think the new niche sites need today they need to have three sor- at least three sources robust sources of traffic because everything is an algorithm and facebook is an algorithm pinterest is an algorithm even mailing lists a little bit yeah yeah they seem like like you own the list but really gmail owns your list if gmail decided yeah. to change their filters then newsletter- there's a lot of like domain reputation things that may change as well things like that like it's like yeah. email is like quite technical actually when you when you really dig into it like the reputation of your ip provider you use to send your emails the wording in your emails that triggers different filters we do a lot of email marketing so it's like we think a lot about this yeah. and uh, yeah email is probably one of the most technical content distribution method, basically, I would say. So mm-hmm. I agree. And it's not right. It, 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 everything is vulnerable at some point. Yeah. So I think the way to offset that and to mitigate the risk is to diversify on the site level. Because right mm-hmm. now I have a portfolio that's much more diversified than what it was a year ago. 
we're getting a good amount of traffic from Facebook, a good amount of traffic from Pinterest, we're gonna dive into and that, still yeah. from Google. And we're beginning, like we joined the mailing list game kind of late. That's the one thing that I do regret. I should have started collecting emails much earlier. But I think overall, that's like the direction where we're headed. We don't need as much content for this approach to work. But okay. can, I, uh, can I challenge you on your vision a little bit here and now? Because I feel it's the right time. It's like, I was going to bring it up later, but I feel, I feel it makes sense. So my personal vision of this is like, I agree. I think that we need to start understanding that search is going to just send less traffic to websites. Like it's just something like SGE updates, etc. And most importantly, it probably will be less regular. Like, you know how we just used to have that like flat line of traffic that would come every single day, whatever you do, etc. Like, yeah, yeah. like, you know, you put any site in Ahrefs now, you, you see the spikes and, <laughs> and the well, values, you know? I tweeted about it. I said, I think Google should join Six Flags and have a like a... Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's it's definitely not that kind of like, I mean, it, it's still a very good source of traffic and it's something that a lot of people should put a lot of effort towards, but they also need to understand that it's not as guaranteed as it used to be, at least in the current times. Maybe it's going to stabilize at some point, but maybe not. My feeling is that the best way to diversify your traffic sources is to actually evolve your monetization method, is to go past ads and sell products yourself. Because once you sell products yourself, you can run paid ads directly to your products. You can have affiliates. You can do social media. And you don't even care about the click-to-website anymore. You just care about building awareness to your... like. If people watch your, your free social media ads, you can retarget them with ads and then just start, start selling them your products. You can do everything, basically. You can do all the traffic methods and they tend to have a much higher ROI than when you just do ads, for example. Which is why my personal vision of where this game is going is that the best players, like people will still start with, I still think you can start with the current business model. Like you're still making money with ads. You're still making, like, we're still making money with affiliate marketing, et cetera. Still works. But I think that like where previously it was making so much money and it was so easy to just pump content and keep making more money. Now there will be a point in the growth of a website where there will be a tipping point where you need to kind of like change gears and go into a different directions and start developing products so that you can diversify your traffic uh, acquisition. And maybe you trade some growth offs. Like it's, it's harder to develop products than it is to produce, produce more content. But you try that up for stability, basically. So you try that up for a certain time for stability and for potential faster growth in the future once you're established in these new traffic channels, basically. If we had this interview a week ago, I would say, yeah, absolutely. You're like 100% right. And this is what I'm going to do. God damn it. I wish we did it a week ago. <laughs> Why did I go to no, Asia? I, and I still, I still <laughs> agree with you, actually. I still agree with you. And we, like, a week ago, I was telling one of our team members and I told her, listen, we got to develop info products. That's the mm-hmm. future. We have to, and you're right, once you have a good funnel, an optimized way to actually make those sales, then yeah, I could see, I can absolutely see how this is the way to go. But what stopped me, and I'm still thinking about it, so I'm not like, I'm not arguing with you because maybe you're absolutely right. No, it's good. Still, but like what, and I'd love, you know, I'll probably reach out to you afterwards. (laughs) Okay. Because two things. First of all, for me personally, going into info products is going to be a huge learning curve. It's difficult as well. And so the whole game, I talked to a lot of people over the last few days and week, reached out to people who I know do well with info products. Mm Because this is how I do these things. I love to network and I love to ask other people how they're doing things and learn. And no, I'm not afraid of a learning curve. It's, it's It's part of the game. 
I enjoy it even. But my concern is this. The people I talk to generally have info products that are in, like they're priced a little bit higher than what I can see. Yeah, I think consumer products is you can sell for high prices. Yeah. If I have a website about cats, what can I sell cat owners as an info product and get them to pay me $50 or $100? I think $50 or $100 is fine. Like you can, I mean, example, like we, we often give the example of that company because I've done masterminds with them and I know how much they're making and it's multiple seven figures per year. And that's iPhonePhotographyschool.com. They sell an iPhone photography course. So how to take good photos with your iPhone. They sell hundreds per day of a course that mm-hmm. costs between $39 and $60, basically. Video mm-hmm. courses sell for this price, like no problem. But it doesn't have to be just info products. Like I think some people should even go into physical products. That's what Kevin did from Epic Gardening, for example. He's killing it. And it's like, he's not just SEO. He's big on social media as well. But like, you can see how all his traffic sources are converging towards an income and he's killing it. He's making... A lot of money right now. So that, that's my feeling is like, I think a lot of people are holding on to monetization methods that have historically performed extremely well and potentially like the amount of effort against the amount of reward you are getting for a long time for just affiliate, etc. It's been great. It's been too good almost. It was, uh, it was, it was almost unbalanced, you know? It was too easy. And it's like things are being rebalanced basically. Like think about like a YouTuber that gets a hundred thousand views per video still doesn't make that much money, for example. Like, it, just put yourself against other content creators, for example. I absolutely agree with you. I think what happened during, I think it was like this perfect storm of the COVID yeah. lockdowns and other factors that just converged to make this like a crazy profitable business for yeah, a yeah. while. And, and, and it's been for a long time, yeah. And it's you're right, it's changing. It's it's in some ways it's changing to where it's it should be. And I've I'm very grateful, like I said, <laughs> for having written that rave because that allows me today to have a much better financial buffer where I can I have room to maneuver and, and figure out new things to do. Again, I don't think it's over. I see, we still have case studies of people starting recently mm-hmm. getting job replacement. We had like one last week in the test group, for example, that just like started making like three care months like from a site that is just started a few months ago. So it still happens, but it's definitely harder and more volatile than it used to be, I think. So it's like, I, I still think people can build a bit of a war chest and experience building sites that way. But there will be a tipping point. And when you reach a certain point, I think when you reach five figures a month or something, like... For a lot of people, it's time to start thinking, how do I make this a real business and so that I can diversify my traffic sources? Do you want to add something to this? Because otherwise I want to jump to you. I think you're right, like essentially. And it's something that is on my mind. Like I actually want to launch a new batch of sites over the next few months. And these sites are going to be geared towards this kind of more balanced model of traffic. But it's definitely like monetization is also a consideration. Like, yeah. would I ever be able to monetize this beyond display ads? I think, yeah, there's multiple levels, you know. Traffic is not the only level. And it's like, many people forget that. I think they're just so focused on, like, my Google traffic. That <laughs> I think we're on the same page entirely on this. Cool. I agree. I just think, for me, for my business, it may take a bit longer just because yeah, it's hard to I've move. never done this before. So I know the learning curve will be there, the whole optimization process, the funnels, the whole yep. thing. 
I'll have to figure it out. But yeah, I actually agree with you. I think you know what makes me, makes me excited. It's like historically when we made podcasts about funnels, they had horrible download rates. And I'm excited for people to finally let me talk about this because I, I love funnels, actually. <laughs> it's like usually people, when you don't talk about link building, they don't care, you know? <laughs> so. so yeah, funnels, like I'm like, this is too much numbers optimization. And like, I prefer to create content and not focus on mm, selling. You can be creative market. in funnels. Like sales pages can be very a very creative um, effort, actually, yeah. for example. So that, that like and that? <laughs> email marketing ads, like there's a lot of creativity that can be put in there as well. So it's, it's, it's both. Like usually in our business, Mark does the numbers and I do the creativity basically. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's how it works. But I want to talk about how you generate traffic with Facebook because you've talked about generating traffic from other sources. And I think that's what I, this podcast needs to be about. Like a lot of people are trying to build more, like essentially more stable businesses. They understand Google is choppy right now. So before this podcast, I actually asked you to send me some of the Facebook pages that you're working on. It's like, I try to make an effort for this podcast. Not that I don't believe you. It's just like I make an effort for this podcast to actually look into people's things because first of all, it allows me to ask better questions. It allows the audience to know that, well, it's been kind of like fact check and it's real, basically. So you sent me some of the examples. We're not going to reveal the niches. We're not going to reveal the page. And I was wondering, like, why you decided to go after Facebook? Like, it's like now when you talk, when I talk to my mom about Facebook, she's not even using it anymore. Like, it's like, I don't even know who's using Facebook anymore. Like, why Facebook? I actually talked to people like on forums and stuff. And there were people who were doing very well with Facebook. And I like the simplicity of the model. And again, Facebook, it's like Google, like there are many ways to get traffic from Facebook. But what I'm doing is is a very specific model where you set up a page. It's a pay-to-play model. You have to pay for the likes and you have to buy the likes, but then which I liked because it means there's less competition than in you know on Google. And then you can then you start offering the audience of that page your content. And trying, and the challenge here is to get them to to click. And now from these people, what I've learned is that there is a lot of traffic on Facebook. And, and, you know, there's also like objective data. Facebook still is much bigger. Yeah, it's still a huge social network. Pinterest, then, then Twitter, then everything. Facebook is huge. So I knew the traffic was there for some people. The question was, how do I get into this game? How do I get past that learning curve? That was the big challenge. How did you get started and how's it going now? So now it's going great, especially this morning. I woke up and seeing like a single post generate over $4,000 in a single day. We had our highest day ever this morning. I was telling my husband, this was perfect just for the (laughs) the podcast. Should come often, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But at the beginning, it was not. At the beginning, we had the pages. I was building pages, paying for likes. And it was a lot of people, when they look at this model, a lot of people told me like, this isn't working anymore. Don't do this. This is like, it used to work, but now it's not. But I said, okay, but I know people who make it work. So I want to try. And so you have like two elements here. First is you buy the likes for the page. And then a lot of people struggle there. Like, how do I get the cost per like down? To add optimization, yeah. Right. So I managed to figure that one out fairly quickly. And get it down to the seven to eight cents per page like range. Are these like US 
people yeah, or US yeah. only. US only. Okay, okay. I was gonna ask because you can get Pakistan likes for very oh, cheap. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. But no, no. I'm going because I monetize with display ads with exactly in the US. If I need US audiences, mm -hmm. so just strictly 100% US audience. And then something that Alik Hasib told me from Strivio, and he, I went on a call with him, and I, and he said, don't worry about the price per like. It doesn't matter if you get this to work, then it'll be worth it even to pay 20 cents per like. And that really like made me, or it helped me reduce the, the, the amount of focus on that part of the deal, but still I'll also figure out how to do it for relatively low cost. So I can get like 10,000 page likes for around seven, $800 under a thousand. And then the big challenge was how to get people to click from the Facebook page back to our site. Engagement was easy. Engagement was easy. Getting people to like your posts and share them in some niches, at least, is very, very easy. So I have a website about cats and I had three Facebook pages about cats. Okay. Said, okay, cats is easy, right? Everybody loves cats. The internet is about cats. Let's try this. And indeed, it was very easy to get. It still is very easy to get engagement on those pages. Give people a picture of a cute kitten, and that's it, basically. Like they'll share, like, is that the comment. Yeah, they'll go crazy. Like, and, and <laughs> I found that there was another revelation. With Facebook, unlike with our regular uh, websites, you get the feedback like almost immediately. On right. To tell you. Yeah, it is. And so I discovered that, like, if you used AI generated cats uh, using Midjourney, you could get to these images that are really sort of strike at people. And I was amazed to see how. I'll tell you a little story. You can edit it out if you like. No, <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> we, I once created. Um, a post on one of our sites about cats and Star Wars. It was for Star Wars Day. And so I created images of cats and cats as Star Wars figures. And Midjourney is good with these kinds mm -hmm. of prompts. But obviously, to me, like 100% AI-generated content. I mean, obviously, you don't really have cats fighting with saber lights. Or I mean, laser, si laser sabers yeah. don't exist already. So <laughs> imagine cats with them. And so... Like to me, this was like a hundred percent AI content. Like, how could you even ever get confused? And there were images of like <laughs> cats as the Wookies in, mm -hmm. in Star Wars, yeah, like yeah. wearing these hoodies and looking really, really <laughs> cute. And it was one image when I prompted for Jabba the cat. And mm -hmm. so it generated this cat, but with a Jabba the hat skin. And no fair. And I never meant to upload that, that to the page, like to show people because to me it was, I didn't, think. but one of our VAs, she managed the page, you know, helped me with the page at the time. She found these images. She didn't even think twice. She just took them. She posted them to the page with some blurb about Star Wars. And people were like, what breed of cat is this? What, <laughs> what? like, like, you know, so the point is that getting engagement on Facebook is easy. Mm -hmm. uh, relatively easy, but those pages uh, failed because they never drove traffic back to the site. Mm -hmm. And we tried everything with all kinds of like, we tried sharing the links directly. We tried adding images. We tried all kinds of, of things and just couldn't make it work with cats. And just want to add, this is where the info product strategy would work really well because you can retarget people who engage with these posts. So you could just farm engagement on your pages. And then people who engage with content, you can show them sales ads 
and they're fairly affordable. And then that's why it's like, that's why it, social media becomes 10 times easier when you have products because you don't even care about site traffic to site anymore. You just care about engagement of the right people so that maybe not funny cat pictures, but cat care pictures, et cetera, things that like actually product buyers would actually interact right. with. Yeah, but the cat doesn't translate into products. <laughs> it's the power of like uh, having something to sell to people, basically. Yeah, like I said, I'm going to pester you. So what was the actual hit? Like what was the actual formula of a post that generated good traffic to your site? But before you reply, let's just have a quick word about our sponsor of today's episode, Search Intelligence. This campaign got us big links in websites such as Lifehacker, Wells Online, Daily Record, and about 20 other news websites. Let me show you how we've done it. We knew that people will be flying a lot this summer, and we knew that journalists will be writing about this topic a lot. So, on behalf of our client, we put together a nice guide about how to fall asleep on the plane. Then we use Muckrack to find journalists who write about travel. Then we put our advice in a nice email and send the tips to the journalists. Within just a few days, the links started landing, securing our client natural placements in really big websites, just like this, this and this. This is a great example about how you can leverage seasonal trends to earn links to a website. Anticipate what journalists want to write about at all times and give them the stories that they need. They will reward you with some great juicy links. I hope this is helpful. Thanks again to the sponsor of today's episode, Search Intelligence. If you need a partner to help you grow your link profile using high quality PR campaign, then head over to searchintelligence.co.uk. And now back to the interview. So, and before the break, we were talking about what the formula was that you got to actually get people to engage with your Facebook posts and generate traffic to your site. So what I found out was that we needed to go for things that trigger some kind of an emotional response in people. And so, okay. and, and yet also intrigue them. And so there is an added benefit for them in clicking through to the page. So you hit on something that's on their minds. They didn't know up until that point that was, you know, maybe they didn't even know it was an issue. Unlike Google traffic. With Google traffic, people come up with a question. They go to Google, they look it up, right? With Facebook traffic, they're just scrolling on their phone's board. And now you bring up a topic. It needs to be close to their hearts. So this is where your niche comes into play. So, you know, what it is that they're interested in, right? And now you need to figure out what is it about their passion or their interest that would make them feel a little bit worried, concerned, or maybe hopeful. But you need, yeah, but you need to wrap it up so it intrigues them and you're not giving them the answer in the title or whatever image. So what works often and again, this is, this is even more of a roller coaster than Google. So the same kind of post even can sometimes work. Sometimes it doesn't work. It's, it's a hit and miss and, and, you know, it's a numbers game. You have to do this consistently until you get the response. But what often works is like get an image in there and in the image have arrows or X's or something, you know, that you point out to something and you want to deliver eventually, right? So you're your content, your post on your on your site will actually cover that. So you're not just randomly throwing arrows in an in an image. But show them something that, you know, this is why they're on your page, point at something in the image and tell them, you know, this could be a big problem for you. 
and then you get them to click through and find out what that problem may be. So it's basically the, the classic uh, clickbait, basically, where you just have this image, this photo is like a red arrow is like this. And then you just say, like, if you ignore this, you're in big trouble. Well, or if you... Yeah, but <laughs> we like try this. to avoid like total clickbaits for two reasons. First, because these people, okay. we want to re-engage them in the future. It cost me. Yeah. A lot of money to get that person to like the page. So I don't want them to turn to be turned off by what they find out. So we need to balance that. We usually do say what the post is about. We don't just send them to a blind link with something. But we do say like something, this is the problem. It could be a problem with your whatever your item is. And so you need to click through and figure out this thing. And and they do. They end up clicking through. Also, if it is about the intrigue, the mistake, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you want to tease there is something, but you don't want to give it right. to them, basically. Right. So it's like if you don't do this one thing right, it's all wrong. Like you're you're really right. in trouble. Right. It's like, but I'll tell them what the topic it. is about. Like I'll tell them what it is about. So if they're totally uninterested in this topic, then they won't click through, and that's okay. But the one who do I, click through, and I need to deliver on this on this promise. Yeah, the content yeah. needs to be good enough to cover that. Well, this is practice for email marketing because it works exactly the same <laughs> yeah. way. You need to do that in your subject line and then you need to actually deliver in your email and in your email, you need to do the same thing so people click on your link, basically. So it's like, it's good because it's like a lot of SEOs tend to suck at, you know, direct response marketing and sales copy, etc. And this is like, basically yeah. like, this is it, you know, <laughs> and it's like, you need to actually not convince a robot, you need to convince people, <laughs> which is a very different game. But one thing I saw in your post is that you almost never use link posts. You know, like when there's this big box with a link, you never use that. You tend to put like an image and then the link is inside the post itself. Oh, are you you're talking that? about like the affiliate links to Amazon? No, I'm talking about the fact that, you know, when you share a link, there's a preview of the link usually oh, below. Yeah. And then you get, you could put an image there, right? You could use the OG social tags and put an image yeah. there if you wanted. But you don't do that. You actually share a native image to the social network and your link is inside the post, basically. Yeah. Is that for distribution purposes? Because yeah. uh, links tend to have very low distribution. The reach reach numbers are lower when you share links. doesn't mm -hmm. mean that links don't work necessarily. They do work and they're much easier to share because you already have your link. It's, yeah. it's faster. But we found that usually the posts with the image, they have like they can get reach in the millions. Post that worked today, the last one, I looked today at the stats, it had over 5 million in reach. And so that, you know, it, it's a numbers game, right? The more reach you have, yeah, yeah. even it, with it a lower CTR, you're still getting more traffic. Exactly. It depends. Sometimes you get lower reach with the links, but because the CTR yeah. is so much higher, you actually tend to get right. a good traffic right. as well. So you, you need so to balance it out. We do share a mix. Like we also share links. But yeah, the most successful posts, the ones that go viral are the ones with images. Yeah, I agree. That's why, for example, on Twitter, for example, we share the podcast. We never put the podcast in the first link. We, we The first tweet, we actually attach it under because otherwise yeah. it gets no reach. So the first tweet carries the subtweet with the link so that all social platforms tend to not like yeah. posts with links. Like a link is a negative distribution factor. Do you use AI to craft the post? Like at this point, now you could train a GPT, right? Yeah, yeah. I already have eight GPTs that I... No, yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, I, it's funny because, you know, when I was um, preparing the podcast and I was looking at your page, I actually made one as well. I was like, oh, what if I made a GPT that actually could do this and do the images, etc. It's like, 
And the problem is the inconsistency, right? It's like usually I build my AI stuff in Zapier. So it's like I actually don't interact with it. I just pre-prompt everything. And it's just like I put like something in Notion and it just does everything. It queues it on Buffer. It does everything. I don't have to think about it. But it needs to be fairly consistent for that. And it's like the output was still like it would need an, an, a human to interact with it, which I like a little bit less. <laughs> so I am addicted to AI. Like I could... I have and a I'm, section for it, don't worry. I it's actually coming. started my own pet project, a website and a YouTube channel about AI. So I don't know where it'll go, if it even interests people, because this is entirely like a passion project just because I am obsessed with AI. Everything AI, like not just Okay, children. so I guess you're crafting a post with AI. Uh, but the well, images actually, are not AI. Actually, that's the thing. On that specific blog, I don't use AI for writing. That's the thing. So it's like, that, the thing is like, when you're closer to the niche, you tend to criticize AI content a lot more as well. And it's like... I think it depends uh, what you're trying to achieve. I think I it's guess. great for some purposes, if you know how to use it correctly. And what I'm learning about AI is it, that it is not a robot in that sense of the word. It's not conscious. What is it? I'm not getting confused. It's not, it's not conscious. It's not self or all of that. That's oh, not yeah, the thing. Yeah, okay. The thing is that when you talk to, when you communicate with ChatGPT, you will get the best results if you treat it like a human being. And that's yeah, yeah. because it's part of its training. It tries to replicate responses that it's seen in dialogues between humans. And so when people are nicer to each other, they collaborate. You know, you'll get them, you'll get someone to collaborate with you when you're nice to them. Or sometimes when you're not. Sometimes, right, when you can get very angry or... Or you like, have a gun, angry, you know? Right? <laughs> but they say you can... How's the saying goes? Like, you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. So okay. it's usually true for AI as well. Or you can actually pressure AI when you go with the negative, with threats. You can threaten an AI, an AI. But the more you use phrases like things, I don't know if you know, like it's a very famous kind of thing that, that AI does better in mathematics when it's told to, to do this, you know, take a deep breath. That's like, okay. that, that was the best prompt when researchers tested AI, the best prompt to improve its um, functions, mm. like in mathematics, was to take a deep breath and obviously it cannot breathe, right? <laughs> so that's not the thing. But the thing is like in all the dialogues that it's seen when people were told to take a deep breath, that's when they slow down and they do something. Do step step. So it takes that data set and it does yeah. a better job. Basically. And so that's how it works. And which I think is fascinating. But it's it very means, interesting. Yeah, that's why I'm saying AI whispering now because you have to be an AI. <laughs> so you have to be nice. You have to be nice and you have to be aware, by the way, even if you're nice, if you're too nice, there is something called the Waluigi effect in AI. And that's when a AI will give you the opposite results of what you want, what you're trying to get. And it can often happen if you're too nice to the AI. The Waluigi effect. So it's like the Mario reference. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like <laughs> okay. evil queen. It's fascinating. Like I've always reading studies about it. Like, but if you love AI so much, why do you not use AI images in your Facebook posts? We do. We do sometimes use AI. <laughs> I saw a few, but most of them are real images, right? It really depends what you're trying to get. Like if, for example, if it's the travel niche and you need an image that would be off that place, then you cannot get away with an image from AI. So what do you get the images? Oh, just if they're not AI. Stock. 
they're all paid. Okay, so they're just yeah. stock images. Yeah, basically. yeah, we have endless accounts of shutter stock images. <laughs> yeah, and the deposit uh, images, right? The ones from well, Absumo yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Uh, a lot of people have that. In terms of RPM, how does Facebook traffic compare to Google traffic? It's actually usually better. RPM is higher for Facebook. Depending on the niche, in some niches, we get better RPM from Pinterest traffic. But both Pinterest and Facebook are usually higher than Google traffic in terms of RPM. Okay. I guess that uh, that helps with, like, potentially, I guess the traffic is very spiky, right? You get a post that yeah. takes off, you make a lot of money, and then it kind of, like, flats for a while, and it just spikes again. That's what I saw, basically. Like, most posts did not get a ton of engagement, and once in a while, you get, like, a post that just goes crazy. Right. And I guess you're getting a bunch of traffic there. So I guess it's even more irregular than Google traffic, yeah. in a way, right? Because it's a numbers game. It's a roller coaster, but if you look at it, like, in a monthly view, it's reliable. I see. You manage to get a certain number of hits per month so that you don't know when they happen, you don't know what post they will happen on, but it kind right. of happens. One thing I forgot to add on the getting the likes to the page is that you mentioned get, doing ads, obviously, but how do you do your targeting? How do you, like, do you just do interests or do you just, are you very broad? Or? It's, um, the ad copy is very simple. I can share it because everybody, I think, uses the same. Very like if you like cats, like this page or yeah, something? Like, yeah, yeah. If you like this page, everybody does the same thing. I have tried other formats, but this really did work best. And then it's a question for, for the targeting. I go US only over 21. Just because this is more valuable in terms, you know, as an audience, it will la later convert to higher RPMs. I don't want kids because kids don't have money. So over yeah. 21 in the US and then just based on the closest kind of topic that I can find in the Facebook interests. So you're like, if it's cats, you're just going to pick cats, pets and yeah. things like that. You're going to go quite broad, I guess, so that you can well, reduce your cost. Well, very broad, but sometimes you create a page that it's more focused and then you cannot find that specific. Yeah, page. yeah. And, okay. and then you go for the closest, you know, nearest thing that you can find. So it's just generic interest. Yeah. And, I, and I think interest. the key with these ads is the images. So yeah, same yeah. audience, same like prompt, but then the images can really, and, and this is where whenever I start a new page in a new niche, I just don't know. I just try everything. Like I try all kinds of images and I see what works best. I turn off the ads that don't work as well and then sort of refine it. And it's a survival of the fittest kind of thing where like yeah, a few days okay. later, I, I'll add more images and try to just get to the ones that actually resonate. So you launch 20, you cut 16 uh, three days later, and then there's the last four that battle for a week. And then you yeah. just keep the one or two that wins basically. How much traffic do you generate from these pages? Like we haven't really talked numbers, but like an average page, I have, let's say 50,000 likes to a consumer niche, like, what can I expect? I don't know about consumer niches very much because I don't do affiliate. I mean, you know, cats or something like that or whatever, like something. First of all, I have to say, I don't know if there is a general number. I know yeah, that yeah. some of our niches did not work out well and others work very well. I think you need to sort of focus your effort, like make sure it's, it's more focused. Like the, the more focused niches is probably... In, at least in my experience, it's just better. But I don't invest in the likes too much. Like I right now, what I do is I cap it at 10,000 likes. 10,000 likes, which is under $1,000, it's a small investment. And so I can test at that point. If it 
you know, if it clicks, if people are engaged, if if I find the right kind of content that makes them click through, then I can always add a little more. But also what happens is that the pages begin to grow organically. So yeah. we have pages now with 50, 50 to 60,000 page views. And of these, um, maybe the initial 20,000 were paid. The rest are organic. And I think it may actually affect like the whole thing. So I wouldn't rush out to go and buy, like, let's say you have a budget of $10,000. Doesn't mean that it's a good idea to go out there and buy 100,000 likes because I'm not sure these would be as engaged as the ones. They're not the best. So in that respect, it takes some time, but I can tell you that most, like our most successful pages, they're at around 50,000 likes. That's enough to generate around between 100 to 200,000 sessions or page views a month. Okay, that's more than expected, actually. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's the thing. It kind of works like all social platforms, right? You get initial engagement from your fans, but if there is a high engagement on the post, Facebook is going to distribute it beyond your fan base. And so not only can that generate more traffic to your site, but that also generates likes to your page that increases the size of your page because there's a little like button usually next to the post when they see it organically. And so like the people who choose to follow you because they like your content, they tend to be more active and engaged than the people you get through ads because you went to get them basically. And so it's almost like a better strategy, I would say, probably. I I don't have as much experience as you, but I have experience on social media to just get initial followers to get started and get some engagement and earn the rest of the followers because they actually will have higher engagement rate and higher engagement rate leads to higher distribution of your content on these platforms. So it's almost like money will not will get you so far. Eventually, yeah. you actually need to make good content, yes. right? You want to get to that snowball effect where you have a yeah. good match between your content and the audience. And then from there, it sort of grows, keeps growing. So it's pretty good, like 100, 200,000 visits per month from a good Facebook page. Obviously, they don't all work out, as you said, and a higher RPM than what Google uh, makes on average. Again, like we can't say it's going to be the case for everyone, but like from experience, from reference experience, that's what happens. You mentioned that you promote these kind of like questions that you answer in terms of links, etc. Have you ever tried to go in and make clickbaity content? Like let's say you have a, uh, uh, a page about cats, you'd make like, here's the photos of... Taylor Swift's cat or something, you know? And then don't you think you'd actually get way more distribution or something? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not like a clickbaity kind of person. Like I said, I'm a very bad salesperson and marketer. It's just, I'm first and foremost a publisher. That's why also in Mm -hmm. products, I'm sort of shying away from that. Like I, like I agree with you in the theory, but it's just not my, you don't like it. Maybe I wouldn't eventually, but it doesn't come naturally to me. Okay, I would encourage you to try that because I think oh, you would yeah, do it right. Yeah, and, and I will uh, because in the end, it's a business, right? It's not just a matter of what my personal. And people love that stuff. People go to Facebook for that stuff. Like they don't like yeah. they don't co- go to Facebook to say what's the shape of the ears of a cat. They want to know. They want to know what's Taylor Swift's cat, for what sure, breed it is. For sure, yeah, yeah. And so we do go with that kind of content, like not the not the information you forget seo like you just go and write Yeah, absolutely it's just that i have like this kind of limit where i'm like this is maybe like too yellow it's they just i mean you've seen the content it's not that it's some kind of high brow you know very sophisticated ah, i know and that's why i'm asking you like if you right but it's also not like it's something in between that's like where my comfort zone is it doesn't mean 
that it's not a good idea to do what you're suggesting, but and maybe we will experiment with that at some point. But right now, it's just, I don't know, we get away so, with something less sensational. Fair enough. I mean, look, you're the one getting 100 to 200,000 views <laughs> per month on Facebook, not me. So I'm just uh, sharing, like, you run a lot of like, digital PR stuff, etc. So for example, we're running a digital PR campaign right now on Otoyaka. And the campaign is... What are the most Google celebrities of 2023, basically? And it's like, we're just surfing on all the celebrity names, et cetera, and we're getting a bunch of links from that, for example. And the thing as well is this kind of content has a place in Google Discover now, for example, yeah. which I think would be a really, really strong combo for you to make this kind of content that works well on your Facebook page. And on top of that, try to play on Discover with a high click through rate. I've tried, <laughs> or I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, it's, a good Discover is like also a bigger, a bit of a black box. Mm -hmm. But what's worked for us is more is clickbaity stuff like that quite often, or like stuff that people find a direct benefit from, like amounts of money, things like that. Basically, mm -hmm. is there any like does the algorithm on Facebook change like it changes on Google? Like, do you the, is it a similar experience where it's like one day things work and the next day things don't work anymore? Have you noticed any of that? Mm -hmm. Are you worried about it? So I haven't noticed it yet. I am worried about it. I think that's like the biggest risk factor here. So one, there are two things here that are risky. One is that your page can get banned. People report it. It's one reason not to go into the very sensational stuff. Fair enough. So the way I see it is that, first of all, my investment per page is low. Okay. Like if I put only up to $1,000, then worst case okay. scenario, if I'm losing a page, it's very sad because I'm losing a lot of traffic, but I didn't really lose a lot of money in, in you know, and I can go and create a new page. The algorithm changes are definitely more of a risk. Like if tomorrow Google, uh, Facebook decides that, I don't know, they don't want to, you know, they, they're limiting reach even more then then we would have a problem. But that's why I think where diversification comes into place. That's where I don't want to rely on Facebook traffic alone or on Google. These sites also, by the way, Google likes them. Like we're getting traffic yeah, yeah, yeah. from Google. So it's a mix of traffic. And we're also building Pinterest. Uh, for those sites. So that's like my goal in 2024. Take Actually focus on the sites that are currently successful on Facebook. Let's push them more on Pinterest. They're already getting the Google traffic. Let's try and create this like trilateral kind of setup. If one drops, you're still okay. Yeah. And they also yeah. have mailing lists and the mailing lists are, this is another interesting thing, by the way, because you mentioned it and, and it's true. There is a, a correlation between what works on Facebook and what works on mailing lists. And so what happens mm -hmm. is that the people who come to, who subscribe and they come from Facebook, they also tend to engage with our mailing lists. And so we're getting much better results, much better click-through rates and, and, you know, open rates on the emails as well. So that's the idea. Like, like let's build this kind of ecosystem for a site where it has... I also want to try YouTube for those sites. Are you going to do like faceless AI videos or are you going to I actually become so. a YouTuber? I or even slideshows. Like I've had, yeah, I, okay. I have done it before and it was amazing to see like a simple slideshow with the right kind of title and topic. It just worked. Like you can get tens of thousands of views. And since the idea here isn't to monetize YouTube so much, is to make, just create this kind of holistic experience where I can send the same people to my multiple channels and say, hey, you're on our, you know, in the, in the mailing list, say, okay, check out this video and check out that and check out. So some people call it branding, right? Because eventually what you're trying to do is keep, when, when you talk about keeping them in the ecosystem is let's, you know, they'll, they'll know the name of the site. So they'll just hop around and feel comfortable with the various channels of, of engagement. But I, 
I don't think that's really branding. I think oh, it's yeah. more of a traffic game. I mean, I think to me, at least branding is different. I have uh, one site where I think we created a brand, like the kind of brand that people actually go on Google and search for the name of the site. I, it's I over that's 20 years your, old. Like yeah, a lot of people in SEO talked about brand. And I was like, a brand lives in the head of people. It's not about what you're doing. It's about how people feel about you. Um, right, exactly. You want to have at least some people who connect to your site, like mm-hmm. who, who are looking for actively for the site as an entity, not just as a source for something. And that's extremely difficult to achieve and it takes a lot of time. So that's where I'm like, this isn't branding, but I do think that what we're trying to do now is to sort of create a more, an overall stable site where even if Facebook has an algorithm change, hopefully it doesn't happen on the same day that Google and Pinterest both have yeah. <laughs> algorithm yeah. updates. And then we're fine. Like if we, if, if, if something were to happen and we were to lose the Facebook traffic or the Pinterest traffic or the Google traffic, we have enough traffic and revenue to go ahead and figure out, okay, where are we going next? Maybe we do something else. And I actually created like a list of potential site traffic sources, like across all kinds of, because people are getting traffic from so many places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people get it from, from Quora, from Flipboard, from, this is like, if, if I may go on, on a tangent just a little bit. Go for it. The way I see it, I'm a publisher. Okay. All of these things, like I never created content for Google. Google is all about, you know, their search liaison is all about don't create content for Google. And I'm like, I never created content for Google. I couldn't care. I mean, I care about getting the traffic from Google, but Google is not the audience. Google is the platform. Google is the pipe that gets me the traffic. And yeah, it's a massive pipe, right? Like over the last decade, it's become huge. It's like, I'm a publisher, I'm creating a magazine and now Google is a newsstand. And I need the owner of the newsstand to like my magazine enough to put it up on display. If it's not on display, nobody would ever be able to read my magazine. In order to get that, I have to make a great cover for the magazine that the owner of the newsstand will like enough to get, but if that newsstand, Google right now, and there are a lot of problems with that newsstand right now. (laughs) It's not like one of the problems is that the newsstand here also became an advertising network that monetizes the magazines. That's like a problem. But if it doesn't like my magazines, there are other newsstands in town. I don't have to go and ideally I want to my site to be able to I want to be able to promote it on multiple newsstands in multiple locations and then I'm much much more you know I'm much safer even if Google's newsstand is so immense and amazing and it's got the best location it's in the middle of the train station right and everybody goes by it okay but still I don't want to be dependent on that very capricious newsstand owner yeah and they, they do what they want because they have so much uh, so much power, basically. Yeah. Too much, too much. Do you want to talk about AI content? Because that's another venture that you went on to this year, where obviously you mentioned that, that you reduced your staff, you focused on AI, etc. How's that working? Like, obviously, it's, I think it's time now. Like, you've started, like, as you said, in April or something. Like, how do you feel about that transition so far? I like it because it reduces the cost a lot. And I don't see much of a difference in terms of its success in rankings because we pretty much maintain the same standard for the 
AI content versus the previously human written. You have content. still an editing process that stays the same. Yeah. Well, pretty much the same. Yeah, I can usually tell AI content apart from uh, human content, and we really strive to take out that ChatGPT voice out of the content, just because it's like it's becoming repetitive across the internet. So that's one thing to do, and then the other thing is to really fact check everything because. GPT-4 is better than any other model in that respect, but it can still hallucinate or just give you an answer that is not accurate enough for what we need, which isn't to say that our content is stellar, and it wasn't stellar before AI. That's the point. Because I don't think content needs to be stellar to succeed because it just needs to be good enough for the user's needs. Like I'm, I'm focusing on the person who reads this. They have a problem. Has my content sufficiently solved their problem? And their problem could be boredom. It doesn't have to be like something that they need to fix. But even if they got to my content from Facebook because they're bored and they're doom scrolling, have I entertained them? Have I provided them with the experience that makes them satisfied? Don't you think that's what Google's going after? Good enough content right now? know what Google is going after. I think my personal theory is that Google is uh, currently, and that's just my yeah, opinion, yeah. right? It, I think the internet is too big. I think having to crawl, index, and rank everything is nearly impossible. Difficult. So I think Google engineers are very smart people. And if the internet had like 100 million pages, they would probably do a wonderful job at ranking them. Really, I, like, I do really believe that. But the internet has become far much larger than that. It's like huge. And there comes a limit. I know that because I got a son who's, that's what he's doing his PhD in, like about algorithms and stuff. And there comes a limit. Algorithms have a limit in the way they process huge amount mm -hmm. of content. And this is like the struggle in computer science. Like how do we make our algorithms better to encompass? And so I think that's my just my theory that maybe Google is like, really having difficulties. And you can see that also in the documents that come out in the antitrust yeah, yeah, yeah. trial, where they say it's just, you know, we cannot read the documents. And I don't think they don't mean that they can't read a document and understand it. Well, they can do that. ChatGPT can do that. Obviously, Google's AI should be able to do that. That's not the thing. The thing is, we cannot do this to the scale that is needed to do that on the internet. And so... This is why I don't think they care about AI content in that respect, but they do like they do care about the quality of the content and they're sort of stuck. They can't really assess. And I think this is why they sort of default to user generated content right now and to very, very, very strong brands, journalistic brands or real businesses. Mm -hmm. Because they're like, okay, we can't determine it in any other way. So let's just assume that these would be better sources. And I think that's a mistake in terms of the user experience, like the people who actually browse the internet, because these people, what they need, they don't need a poorly written page by a business and they don't need a poorly written page on Reddit, on Quora. They do need web publishers like us to get that content. And that's what we've been doing for years sure, and sort of yeah. translate that into something that's easier to consume on the internet. That's like, that's the way I see my job. Like my job, I'm not an expert on, on many things, but my job as a publisher is to do the legwork, do the research and get people a much better 
answer in the terms that it's it, in the, it's easier for them to read online on a page, like on a screen, usually on their phone. That's very different from being a, a print magazine. I need like my profession as a web publisher is to figure out how to package information the right way for people to consume it online. And to me, that's that's like an expertise. That's a profession. And that's something that a plumber cannot do. They have a plumbing website because they want to you know promote their plumbing business that does not mean that they know how but to write for you know are, are you really doing online. this when you're using AI content is your expertise shining through when you're using AI content I think so because this is where it comes to like I don't do one click AI content I do AI content that is like let's just talk about your process is gonna help us understand because you've been promoting yeah, depends, a like, lot and they're, they're, they're pretty much a one click yeah. AI writer although on the no, outline no, on the no, outline no. and on the prompts you have a lot of control but it, not only that not only that I talked to Connor who made koala and I like in terms of the approach and it's definitely my approach is that koala is the first draft it is not the finished product it is not a one a good one click because there is no such thing as a single click good AI content creator. So Koala provides us with a very robust draft. Mm -hmm. And all of the features are the fact that it does go online, it researches online, it references things, and you can tell it also what kinds of sites you want it to check and reference. And that's what we do. And for some topics, it's not relevant to each and every topic, but on some topics, for example, our content specialists know to tell Koala Check scientific sources, check government sites, check, like, go for very authoritative sources. It doesn't always work. It's not always needed. But wait, but this, and this is the skill. This is the skill that they have as a content specialist to say this topic, I'm going to go with this kind of, you know, instructions and prompts for Koala for something else. I'll go with something with a different setup. But, and then I'm getting my first draft. This is not the final post. This is not what gets published. And so the rest of the process, once they have their first draft, is usually it revolves around um, first like an initial round of editing because Koala tends to have repetition. Again, depending on the topic, okay? Because Koala sort of shoots for a certain word count. You know, the sections independently as well. So it doesn't know what it wrote before and after. Yeah, yes. It depends, right? Depends on topics. So in some topics, it'll give you an excellent first draft. In many topics, the the first draft still needs a lot of editing. It needs a lot of, you need to cut out the repetition. You need to cut out the fluff. We usually also redo the introductions almost completely. And then they also know to look for those chat GPT phrases. Like they're not, a, we, we, we don't, we try not to have let's dive in and all of these, you know, recognizable yeah. tropes almost by chat GPT. So they know to look for those. And then they also need to think about things like images. So this is also something that the content so specialist. I just want to rewind to. a bit. I just want to rewind a bit on the, the process. So you have a keyword like best no, not best. Let's just say cats, uh, I don't know, cats games in apartments. Let's just say that. What's the process? So again, it depends on the type of the query, okay, or the title, if you like. And like I said, we're sort of moving away from questions. Okay. But this would be a list, right? Like cat games in apartments is like maybe like a games to get a cat can play in an apartment would be like 10, 10 games you can play with your cat right. in an apartment, you know? Yeah. So with a listicle, we would probably actually not use Koala. With a listicle, we would use ChatGPT. Okay. Koala is better tuned for those long tail kind of questions. Now, while we don't go after long tail content, Mm. we still use, even for that Facebook 
content, we still sometimes go after questions because sometimes it's actually a good format. And in the end, when people click through, even from Facebook or from wherever, I need to give them what they clicked through for, right? I need to provide them with, like, like fulfill the, the promise. So if it's a question like, why does your cat chase toys or something? Why, why does my cat hide stuff behind the couch, which is like a classic long tail yeah. question, but it also, but it, it could work in some ways, maybe on Facebook. Again, maybe, I don't know. I'm not good with cats on Facebook, but the idea is this is, this would still be questions that we would go to Koala for that first draft. Okay. But then there would be a lot of like cleaning up to do. If it's a listicle though, I'm actually toying with the idea of creating a GPT for listicles, mm -hmm. but it just, the content specialists would just go to chat GPT. We have multiple chat GPT plus accounts. They only work with GPT-4. And then there is like, it, it's, it's sort of like a structured process where they start with like a general overview and brainstorming, and then they build the, the items on the list together, and then they sort of elaborate on each one. It doesn't take okay, too long. Okay, so they still like that. collaborate. They don't just say, write me a list of, uh, write me a blog. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's never one-click. Okay. AI is not, in its good. current form, it's not a very good one-click content. I writer. think people need to hear that. Uh, it's like, it's like, I think it's definitely very useful. I can. It's a productivity booster. We have an AI mm -hmm. blueprint as well, right? We have a course on that. It's like, I'm just using the raw API, basically, in Google Docs. And it's like, we spend a lot of time on outlining. We use AI to help outlining as well, but it's like, outline, then have the AI, like, have the AI generate the first outline based on the top results. Then edit the outline yourself, add your personal experience inside the outline, then have the AI write, but then also have the AI do the first round of editing. So it actually has recursive prompts where it thinks about its own answer <laughs> and fixes it and makes it better and or rechecks against the editorial guidelines to make sure the content is better, basically. And then human editing, basically. So it's like people... When we released that, they imagined that we had some magical formula that would give people like a one-click AI writing thing. And I'm like, no, nah, it's maybe a 50% productivity boost, you know, something like this. Like, it's it's good. It's it's amazing to get 50% productivity boost. Um, but yeah. it's not a one I would say with AI, it's one to two hours yeah. to create an article, whereas before it was four to Okay, yeah, I, I think that's fair. And that's what it is right now. And it, it's like people who try to make it something else, they tend to release very low quality content, in my opinion. And I call it spam. <laughs> yeah, it's very easy, right, to automate everything. It's tempting as well. Connect to the API and just get 500 articles out there, but they're low quality content. It's not good enough, I think. I think it can be done if you combine it with maybe proprietary data and you make like very specific queries, like, you know, uh, what ingredients are inside a minestrone soup, for example. I don't know. It's like, it's like you find the data. The thing is, I think I think even one-click content can rank and people do, yeah. do well with that. Like I'm as a publisher, as a, I don't know, so far so good. Okay. <laughs> it's just that, for me as an as an as a publisher, it's also like a bit of I don't know, I don't want to use big words, but it is I think an ethical problem. Um I do see like I said, like okay, you know, I, I'm a web publisher, I'm not a web spammer. Spammers make money too. Yeah, yeah, they do. But that's just not And it's not illegal as I, well. They can publish anything they want on their site. If Google decides to index it, is that is Google's problem, you know? Yeah, right. These are things that I now think about a lot because um, I know we may mention it later on, but I'm looking into the whole Web Publishers Association. It, yeah. and, and it's it's something that's like on my mind. Like I think as publishers, we also have responsibilities and we also have a role like in, in, in this internet thing. The internet is a big thing. I think we have 
a role in the internet and and I think we need to like be respectful of that and that's my personal thing yeah but it's also Google's job like it's like if Google rewards these people are going to do this more and it's, it's not illegal to do that I agree. But it's like yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. Google to get better honestly I think there's a, there's a lot on their shoulders right now and they're not necessarily doing the best job either the problem yeah. as well is like you know you're talking about like oh you want to engage people etc but for years they have encouraged samey content basically so you wanted to rank you had to write the same page again and again and now they come with their update mm-hmm. and they're like, guys, this is shit content. What are you doing with your site? We're doing what you I told know, us to do to I rank, you know? <laughs> I think the whole approach, like their messages are borderline <laughs> gaslighting because you're like, and I could see that you asked me early at first, like how did my sites first? Yeah, yeah. And I was looking at them a couple of weeks ago. I, t- I just set the Google search console to 16 months back. And I can see like the roller coasters, but it's like a different pattern in each one now. So when you say, when, when Google tells me, you know, this isn't quality, I'm like, you don't know what you're That's talking what you about. That's what you wanted me to do. <laughs> not only this is what you wanted me to do, but I'm doing the same thing. Sometimes it's quality. Sometimes it's not quality. It's, it's quality this month and in, in a few months, then it's deranked because it's no longer quality. And then another site of mine, by the way, sometimes outranks another site. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same type of content. You're just rolling a dice. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's very confusing, basically. Yeah. Are you excited about the new OpenAI releases? Like anything new that you're excited for that they've released? Because there's the GT4 Turbo, there's the GPTs, there's the vision in the API that's going to... Like, for example, like I'm thinking for outlines to send screenshots of the top ranking pages to GPT so that it thinks of page layout, not just content, but actually, like, is there tables? Is there, like, what do they use illustrations? So I'm excited, but I'm also solely aware of the limitations yeah, yeah, of definitely. the GPT model and of the fact that ChatGPT is not aware of its own limitations. Yeah. So there are many things that you would ask that it would happily try to comply, but then it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. So I've done things like, I actually think featured images and images in general, I like, at first I didn't like the DALI capabilities, but now I'm, I'm beginning to like them more. They make good images and the fact that it can sort of include text, which Midjourney Cut yeah, doesn't it's do. Now. It's pretty amazing. Now it's obviously not always accurate, but it's very easy to take it to Canva and then like edit the text. So I've been using that. I try to use it more for fact checking because now going online is like part of the mm-hmm. whole thing, right? It's not in the API easy. though. Could be, I haven't tried. I'm not very good with the API. It's not in the API. Stuff. It's only vision. It's like, yeah. I use mostly the API. Oh. So yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's a bigger release, but it's a more subtle release than last year. Like last year with GPT, like ChatGPT, et cetera, was a big deal. This is very powerful, but same, the 128K context is a huge, huge deal. So it's like, like you can import, like you can, I can transcribe videos with Whisper and import like entire movies, documentaries, etc. in the prompt to have it extract data from it actually. Because be careful because it's attention span, even yeah, though they that's the problem. The, yeah. It's not very, I just saw a study very interesting that when you, they gave ChatGPT like a novel length kind of text to address, what happened was, and they showed it in the study, fascinating. It would notice things at the beginning of the text and towards the end of the text, but not so much in the middle. So if you have important stuff in the middle, you're in trouble. If you assume that you don't see everything. I mean, I actually used it. I was testing it on your podcast with Niche Pursuits. Actually, I had it make uh, all the notes to prepare this episode, for example. It was decent, like uh, even in the middle, but like 
It's the same problem that you were talking about with Google. Like the web's getting too big and they can't really organize the information. It's basically this on a much smaller scale for, for these language models. Well, despite the, like the bigger the prompt, the more they're likely to ignore things in the prompt. And so it's very similar, basically. It's still better than a human in that respect, like faster, right? Only that, but the token size is becoming... So I was not so impressed with GPT-4 so far, mostly because what it could have in token memory was mostly similar to what you can have in your own brain in memory. Like it's kind of like the same, a document of 20 pages, something like that. Like, okay, I can probably have this in memory and do the same work. But now that we're getting to token sizes that are significantly larger, it's going to start to be able to do things cognitively that we can't do because there's just we don't have enough RAM in our in our own brain. You know, we're running out of tokens personally. And so that part is 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 fairly interesting. So here's one thing like one thing that people tended to do before this release that did not work is like, you know, go in the code interpreter, upload the Google search quality guidelines and ask it to analyze your site, whatever. Bullshit. Didn't have enough tokens. It wouldn't work. It would just hallucinate whatever answer, etc. Wouldn't work. But now with the uh, the GPTs, you can actually upload PDFs, and it has like it's, I think it's a lot of tokens, like fifty thousand token of five, like a lot, a lot of tokens for the documents, and it can actually go through all of that. And it's not perfect. It's still very summarized, and it still misses subtleties, maybe. But it actually does use the entire document and and does this properly. So like for these kind of things, like running against a massive documentation, running a document and, and giving you insights, etc., it's starting to become a thing. And like, if I was a lawyer, I'd be a bit worried, for example, because that's exactly <laughs> what they do, right? They take the law and then they just... I'd be worried before that because GPT-4 passed the bar exams yeah. at like top 10% of lawyers. So. Yeah, but now you'll be able to also <laughs> make much more customized models yeah. very easily. And that's a, a big deal, basically. I had like one kind of like push back on your strategy that I I was preparing this podcast basically and I was reading about social traffic referrals, right? It's like you're focusing you're focusing on that a lot. And to news site, since 2020, the traffic from Facebook is down 80% actually. From Twitter it's down 60%. How does it make you feel about the strategy you're going after right now? In terms of like future proofing and, and all of that. Because obviously it's like Google's sending less traffic to websites, but I think it's all the internet that's sending less traffic to websites at this point. Like it's like we're moving more and more towards closed ecosystems where you engage with people on the platform and then you pay for us to send them to your to your offer after you've built engagement basically. And all these platforms are moving towards that and there's no regulation happening that's stopping them to do that. It's like, that's what makes me a little nervous about developing all these things because while well, YouTube is amazing, while well, Twitter is amazing, et cetera, and I connect with great people there, it's not a big traffic generator. So you probably knew that. Like, how does it put what you do in perspective? So it's an excellent point, and I think you're right. And I think this is where the world is like headed to- towards. It's already happening, right? And I do really hope that regulation would kick in, not as a publisher, but as like a citizen of the world. <laughs> because... I think the current trajectory is very worrying. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're going to have a bunch of companies, corporates, that will basically control the information. Now, I don't like conspiracy theory, so and it sounds a bit like that, but it really is what's happening. And Google right now is the main culprit, but uh, Meta is also, you know, a it's 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 a similar concern because they have the same kind of interest as a corporate. They're they're you know they're committed to their shareholders. I don't hold it against them. It's not that they're evil. It's just that that's the, that's what they are. And I do think that regulation is going to have to kick in because it's it goes against the interest of any you know democracy or Western country to have private companies control the information 
that goes to your people. And what also worries me is the fact that these same companies are the big players in AI. So when Google talks about generative search, I'm worried not as a publisher. I'm worried as, as a person because what this essentially means is that the same company that controls the pipe and the controls the monetization of the pipe is about to start producing the content. And I think this is way, way too much power for a single player as big as Google. So I really hope that the antitrust trial breaks this up because I think it's just too dangerous. And again, not because they're bad people or evil. It's just because that this is the way a corporate works and it's not healthy for you know the rest for the rest of us to have a single corporate become this yeah. powerful. Go EU, you know. It's like thanks to EU actually. <laughs> it's like that's the only the only government body that actually does something about these things. So it's like uh I mean let's see how the yeah, antitrust I, goes. But like so far the EU has been pushing way 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 further on these companies than than the US has. But it's about time. So yeah. we hope the US joins in. But in terms of your sites, how do you feel about like, how does it make you feel about your strategy? So I, the way I see it, you know, eventually where we're headed, like the future is personalized AI agents. Okay. Like a decade from now or two decades from now, I don't think there will be like websites will not be a thing as they are today because most people will not go to websites. They will probably, I think, I could be wrong on this because I was wrong about other things before, but my sensation is like, I already go to ChatGPT and ChatGPT is not a personalized agent per se, although I do have, like I pre-prompted it in the custom instructions. It knows who I am, what, you know, where I live, what I do, all of that. I added there on purpose, my name and everything. It's It's already a much more personalized experience. It knows what I prefer to hear in answers. Like I want your answers to be short because otherwise it goes on forever. I have, you know, go online when you're not sure. Like I have a lot of instructions there that make it like a customized agent, like a very similar experience. To me, it's obvious that this is the future. Like who wants to go to a website? Who wants to go search Google when I can just click on the button? Everything is on voice, by the way. I don't like type even everything. So okay. I just like, I have a question. Really? Yeah, I, go, I have a question. I just hit that button there. I can't wait for it to be like Google or, or Siri, you know, where I could just like, okay, chat GPT and we'll respond. That, that's not happening yet. But okay, so I have to click a button. But from that mo- point onwards, it replies like, hi, Anne. And it gives me the answer that I want. I can ask follow-up questions because it's a dialogue. It's not search. Like the whole experience is already like 10 times better than anything that I could do on Google. I don't see ads. I don't get interrupted by anything. Nobody is bothering me. My agent is like my filter, right? It goes yeah, yeah. for everything. It's between you and the information yeah. and uh, all the people who want to right. get something from you. And, and I get the information in exactly the way I want it to be. So I think that's the future. I think eventually I we'll get to that point. It's and, and I think that also the next stage is going to be some sort of, it's called agency or autonomy, where my AI agent... Oh, does stuff without you, yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah. also be able to like call places. And it's already possible. Yeah, um, it's Google possible. has made the technical possible. demos for that. Yeah, yeah, it could do this. But they're not releasing it yet, and I can see why, because it also comes with some pretty major risks in all kinds of direction. And I also think 
that when that happens, first of all, it's not good enough yet. It's going to get there, but it's not good enough yet. But when it gets there, it's going to have to be self-aware to some extent. And this is when we'll start seeing consciousness develop in AI. That's that's the way. I think we're going a bit far here. Yeah. We were talking I know, about... I know. I know. I told you, I could talk about AI forever. This is. I can see. I can see you're passionate about it. Yeah, but I think. So, so what happens to your website then? Right. That's my question. Websites for websites. I think eventually the internet, like 20 years from now, is going to look immensely different. But as a business owner with a web publishing company right now, I don't care about a decade from now. I don't care about 20 years from now. It's an eternity in terms of the internet. Okay. I've been doing this for 23 years. There was no way 20 years ago that I could have known, you know, what was going to happen today or that it would have mattered to me. So I don't care about, like, I can see where this is going long-term. I can see that long-term websites will be in huge trouble. They will disappear essentially, eventually. But it doesn't really change anything for my business decisions today. Today, like the horizon that I am looking at is two to three years. Anything beyond that, I think it's just foolish to plan for because things change so much. I more. think that's really a really good point because it's like a lot of people are obviously a little bit negative about the industry right now, but it's like they're so focused on, on where this is going that they forget where they are right now. And it's like what's making money today. Yeah. It's still like pretty classic, you know, building, building a business, building a site, driving traffic to it in different ways. Google's changing a bit, et cetera, but it's not changing that much if you really think about it. And it's like, we can't live in the future. Like you, in the future, you want to have made a lot of money in the past. Right. Uh, to do that. Exactly. Let's and make to the do money that, now. You need to think about what's working now, you know? And so I think a lot of the industry needs to hear that because they're so obsessed with what People talk about on social media, what they see on TV, etc. Uh, but the reality is most people don't even use ChatGPT right now and they don't even care mm-hmm. about AI. And they're still typing Google in Google to go on Google, you know? It's like... Uh, <laughs> and it's still uh, on Facebook and they're still like... The exactly. Patterns have not changed that much yet. Maybe It's going to be the biggest uh, slowing down of the progress is going to be the people, you know? Yeah, for sure. People first and then the second thing will be governments with the regulations. It won't be the technology. The technology can like go there really fast, but people will take slower to transition. But yeah, I agree. I I don't think we can plan ahead that far. And I I don't think it it therefore doesn't matter. I want to make money in 2024. Okay. I'll have one last debate for you. And then after that, I promise I'll let you go. But one thing that you've mentioned is that you, are you still active on 25 sites today, by the way, or? Technically. It's, they're not okay. all active. Like So one thing I've, like, obviously I saw your Facebook pages and so I saw the websites that were associated with it because there were links to them. So I saw three of them. And it's like, to me, they felt a little low effort, not on necessarily on the content, but rather on the building. They were very simple. They're like pretty much like a white design. All the new EEAT stuff people talk about, like who is the author, social profiles, photos, bios, info on the about page. One of them had info on the about page, the rest didn't have contact info, etc. Like you kind of like ignoring all these things. And so I couldn't help but think when I was preparing this podcast on whether focusing on, on the other traffic sources was the right thing or should you actually also uh, like address some things on your site as well? What do you think about that? Okay, so I don't believe... In EAT, in EAT, I don't okay. believe in the Google guidelines. 
I think what matters to me is the user experience. When the user gets to my page, does that page deliver what they came, you know, what they came for? If they came okay. for information, does it give them the information in the right way? If they came for it entertainment, does it give them that? And it doesn't need to be perfect. I mean, it doesn't need to deliver like beyond their wildest expectations. It needs to just deliver what, you know, enough. It needs to be good enough because this is a business, right? I need to be cost effective as well. And the thing is, you, usually with most queries, you don't have to go overboard with what you provide them. Like you need to, to make it good enough. I remember I had like an eye opener. It was 15 years ago, even longer when I created okay. content and I had an expert check that content. And to me, it was low quality content. I wrote, but you know, whoever thought about AI back then, I wrote the article. And I wrote an article about gardening. The article was about choosing vegetables in your garden. Like how can you use vegetables in your garden for aesthetic purposes? And I just wrote, I'm not a gardener. I never grow vegetables. I just used my common sense and said things like, yeah, tomatoes are red. So you want to make sure that they stand out when you, you know, things like that, like about arranging the colors of your vegetables. Think about it. And to me, that was like, you know, fluff and nothing like who I was not an expert, an expert was not needed. And then I gave somebody who was an expert, a professional landscaper. And he was like, wow, this is an excellent article. Wow, mm -hmm. you're teaching people so much here. You're absolutely right. And that taught me a lot. Like what we, you and I consider to be quality content is not necessarily what the average user thinks of the same article. Like Fair most enough. people don't need the bells and whistles and they don't need it to be like what we would consider as wow. They could be getting a very positive user experience from content that a seasoned publisher may look at and say, hmm, this is mediocre. So that has been like an eye-opener to me. And ever since then, I know that I don't have to go crazy with providing the very best content based on my standards. It needs to be good content based on the user standards. And it needs, like, if the, if it's an informational question, then it needs to be helpful. I agree with Google, like content needs to be helpful. But what I consider to be helpful maybe for a question is not necessarily when somebody, what somebody else considers to be helpful. So to go back to the way we do our sites, I don't think you need a flashy main page. I don't think you need like major experts and Google will some people will say, it's not even Google saying that, but some people will like go based on those guidelines and go, you know, overboard with eat and with bios and with all of those things. And I have seen so many websites crash so trash, on right? the HQ <laughs> with these amazing teams of experts with LinkedIn profiles and Twitter profiles and like the, all of the signals that everybody, and they crash because Google says one thing and does another. And the thing is to create that kind of eat or, or designs or everything else, it costs a lot of money. You have to mm -hmm. really invest in it. And to me, I, I sort of almost, because I, I figured Google can't really tell, I don't want to invest in that. It, okay. It's not helping my user. It's clearly not really even <laughs> getting. So you don't think the user wants to know who's behind the content? They don't care. No, they don't. How many okay. people on your site click on the about us? 
page when they get to uh, an article? Uh, not too bad, actually. It's like about us. The other page, I would argue that not many people click. But on the about us, no, people, we get traffic. Okay. Uh, which side are you talking about? Authority hackers? Uh, it, even some other sites. Like it's like the traffic is, is fast. It's like in the thousands per month, basically, for, for usually. So in, not for on our sites. In my niches, at least, people come for the information and they just generally, you know, either move on. If we're lucky, they sign up for the mailing list. I haven't seen anyone like, or oh, very, very few click on the About Us page. So to do this... To Depends where you link to it as well, right? If it's in your footer only, obviously, nobody's going to click on it. If it's in your main navigation, more people are going to click on it. And again, it depends on the type of, of niche and the type of content that you deliver. Now, I deliberately, by the way, Avoid content that requires a lot of research and requires expertise. Now, if I were in a niche or or a site on a top, then yeah, then in that case, I would hire experts and I would you know work more because it's needed for the user experience. But I don't want to do this just for Google. Like, okay, fine. It's like I just wanted your opinion on that because obviously, it's like it's something that it's something people talk about, and it's like um, it's. So I got to see it. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing, by the way. But it's like something that people not don't necessarily see, and it's interesting to see your point of view as well. And you've made a lot of great points, basically. So. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the Web Publisher Association? Just in a few words, because it's just really an initiative at this point. There is no Web yep. Publishers Association. I just feel that it's something that is needed at this point i think can you explain what it is first so people understand so Uh, my my concept like and this is my vision if you like is that web publishers smaller web publishers like us i'm a small time web publisher there's the huge companies there's dot dash and there's you know forbes and all of that they have their association there there are associations there for for huge publishers but small Small potatoes like us, like people who have, I don't know, 5, 10, 20 million page views a month or 100,000 page views a month. Like we have no voice right now. We're out there. We're like getting dealt whatever, but it's not just Google. Google is one thing, but Amazon affiliates, like what they're doing right now, or they're cut in the big cut in, so right, yeah. Yeah, in commissions. Or it could be Facebook. Facebook could ban my page tomorrow and I have no recourse. Like there's nobody I can call and say, listen, you made a mistake here or whatever. There's nobody to talk to, right? You, you'll get diverted to who knows where. It's the same with all of the platforms. So like we have no voice right now. If we're lucky, then we work with a network like Mediavine or Raptive where maybe, you know, they're more accommodating. But everybody else pretty much ignores us. And yet we are still a major player like on the internet. So like there's a lot of internet pages out there where we create the content. And I think that if we were to sort of get together and, and, and like pull resources and make our voice heard, I think, I hope that maybe we can make a small change. And in addition to that, I think having like a professional association could be beneficial to people in many ways. It can provide a chance for networking, for education, for things like, you know, I'm seeing things like webinars, all kinds of ways for people to get together, learn from one another, maybe even conferences online or maybe even in real life. 
and discounts, for example, that, you know, all kinds of things, benefits for us. I'll tell you, like, we actually negotiate discounts down for our members, actually. We cut our affiliate commissions quite often. We reach out to the tool right. companies. Right. And then we're like, how do we get the cheapest price for our members? Because... Uh, yeah. So, it's so like, I don't want to compete with you, well, but, but <laughs> I mean, you can compete on the discounts. I don't mind at all. Like I even give you, I'll tell you how to, who we talk to, etc. I don't mind. So, but, but I think that there are so many publishers who could benefit from this. And like right now we're like, most of us are working alone. Some of us have mastermind groups and we have places like this. And, but I think we could all benefit for something a little bit bigger where we could for me personally, like the big, I don't need discounts. I don't need, and I can network, like I can do all of these things without an association. So for me personally, the big thing here is let's get our voice heard. Let's, let's get, you know, imagine having those points of contact in Amazon affiliates, in Pinterest, in Meta, in, in Google, maybe yeah. that we can talk to. We can say, Hey, listen, guys, you're, what you're doing now is not good. Work with us. Talk to us before you issue these things, because we have 5,000 of your best affiliates or publishers or whatever that, you know, so, so talk to us. Let's, I think that could be very, very helpful for everyone in the industry. I agree. I think, uh, so what's your, do you have a concrete plan? Do you, uh, if people are interested with the, so, with the yeah, with so the, I have a group of, I guess they follow you on Twitter, right? We put your Twitter handle at the bottom and then <laughs> yeah. when you're ready. So I managed, there's a, there's a few publishers that are already on board. I can mention John Dykstra and Tony Hill, and there's a few others. I don't want to mention their names, you know, to out them before asking okay. them, John, John and Tony told me that it will be okay to mention their names, but there are others as well. And right now, Moto is like a small group is, I love the idea, but I'm not sure I have the time because we're all super mm. busy, right? Everybody's got, we're all business owners. We all have to manage our own businesses and I'm, I'm in the same boat. So the idea right now is to sort of outsource the management of the project. But first we need to find a bunch of publishers who are big enough to step up and come in and say, yeah, we want to be like on the board of directors of this thing. I, it's going to be a nonprofit, but we need a board of directors who will shape the, the, the thing, like the policies and everything else. So this is where we're at. It's slow going because everybody is super busy with their businesses. But I'm... Especially these days, right? But I'm optimistic. I hope that, you know, we can... Yeah, I think the idea, a lot of people mentioned it. Several people talk about it, etc. It's like as a... French person, I'm not going to complain about unions, you know? <laughs> I don't think it's a union, though. I don't think it's a union. I kind of. A professional, uh, a professional association. Okay, yeah. That's, that's the it's way the I polite name for a union. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a, a professional association. But professional associations have a voice, right? They have, like... Yeah, the for big, sure. But the big publishers are doing a lot with when one. A lot, a lot of what you, a lot of what you mentioned, we try to do at our level, like not on that level that you're talking about. But I have ways to talk to major tool companies, for example, Ahrefs Credit System. I've talked hours with Tim about it, <laughs> about like how about problems. Etc. I'm going to do a podcast with him, by the way. We're going to go over all the problems Ahrefs has and how people are not happy, etc. So yeah, and I, you know, I would love for players like Ahrefs, like Mediavine, like yeah. all of these to be, to, to join forces with this kind of association as maybe as sponsors, maybe, you know, there's, there's, some, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of room here for cooperation and collaboration. 
that would be like a win-win situation for because in the end it's the same industry. They're working with public. Uh, if small publishers struggle, they struggle. Like exactly, exactly. Crazy. So there's this whole you know ecosystem, ecosystem yeah. here. Yeah, that's that's about this industry, and I think it's time that you know this industry sort of comes together and finds its voice. In the okay. So if people want to hear more about that, should we just follow you on Twitter or should we send them somewhere else? I guess, yeah, follow me on Twitter, on the blog, on everything. All right, we'll just put the the handle here so people can follow. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any final word of wisdom for everyone who uh, listened to this entire interview that you want to, a message you want to pass to them? Well, just to say that I know that everybody is struggling these days. The whole, speaking of an industry, then our entire industry went through a lot over the last year and specifically last few months. Like most, I think, I don't know if many publishers have have relied on Google traffic. And so these changes have been rough on everybody and like to the point of affecting them emotionally and like creating a lot of stress. Um, But I do want to like end with a hopeful, optimistic message. I think, like, like I said, I don't know 10 years from now, I don't know 20 years from now, but I think there's actually a lot of potential in the next year, two, three years. I think a lot of things that are happening could be very beneficial for people who are um, able to adapt and to sort of think outside the box a little bit. There are a lot of things that are positive that are happening. So opportunities are still still out there. And, and you know. And also, I think it's like a lot of people have done well, but also a lot of people were struggling before. It's like, in a way, the cars are being reshuffled now yeah. and people who have struggled in the past potentially have an opportunity to be more leveled with other players in this big change that is happening right now. And so it's like, I think people are focused a little too much on traffic sources and they need to think about other business levels that they can use to actually pull ahead. Uh, that's really the message we're trying to push forward right now. I think it's like uh, traffic is still a big thing. You should still do all this stuff, etc. But there's many, many other things you can do. But anyway, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a really cool discussion. We've talked through Twitter for ages. We never really talked in real life, but I think that was a a good first discussion. So thanks for everything. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.